like a demon. That was brownish gray and white. A righteous soul temporarily possesses a body. <laughs> the Dibic box. This evil thing. <laughs> Touche, sir. The Rugaroo. It has potential to be dangerous. The Wild Hunt. There's something large crawling out of the water. That's just between me and the feds. Baba Yaga. <laughs> I'm Todd. I'm Jamie. I'm Bill. Welcome to Stranger Happenings Podcast. I mean, there's that countdown. You would have been- I don't look yeah. at my screen. You had six seconds to say whatever dumb crap you're gonna say. See, <laughs> you can keep the, I don't look at the screen. I usually am laid back away from my uh, <laughs> computer. I, I, I talk using the computer, but I do all hmm. my readings off of my phone and my tablet. And I keep hmm. a magic mouse pad next to me usually, so I don't have to even get near the computer. I, just wow. oh, I, am, I, I stare at the computer the whole time. I do, I do too. I yeah, I like intently but, stare at it. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah, what, the same. Like I can, like there's something I can influence, you know. But that's why the time I got booted, I didn't know I got booted because I was looking at the computer. Uh, I look oh, up on, okay. Oh, the time I got muted. I that, think, yeah, that explains it. I think that's why I'm always like so intently staring at it. Is I'm like, I don't want to mess this up. I want to know if we get knocked off. I want to know <laughs> if I'm like suddenly drinking something and I'm unmuted or like. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Hello. So, to, oh, so go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I was just gonna say, um, a birdie, t- little birdie, told me, Bill, that um, your favorite ice cream place <laughs> knows about your nickname. They do now, because <laughs> of yesterday. And I am going to get all of you back involved. <laughs> I can't say how yet. Partially, I'm not sure what I'm doing yet. Partially, it might not be legal, but I will get all of you back. <laughs> I, I even have the video. I do um, too. So I'm going to play the audio for you guys. Uh. This is from Uncle Billy Toshu's. <laughs> I think it's awesome, though. I mean, they, I think it's now awesome they know who too. you are. Well, they you knew know? before. Yeah. They knew me as Bill. They actually oh. knew who I was. The owner now knew they know you better. They know now you they know better, you as Uncle Billy Toshu's. Thank God none of them work with me anymore. Now they know you as Uncle Billy <laughs> Toe Shoes. Yes. <laughs> uh, I will I'll have you know, I, I told a six-year-old and two other adults that that's your nickname. And then we wondered what our, like, Discovery Channel uh, true crime episode, what it would be called when you decide to finally kill When Todd he snaps on all of us. And maybe Sarah. <laughs> we call it Peace and Quiet. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'll get. <laughs> you'll get it and then you'll be depressed because you'll miss us I, I'll have to stop with the new podcast Strangest Happenings with host Bill <laughs> <laughs> uh, Man. so what's going on you guys I had a birthday party this weekend for my dog and for my best friend and it was really fun that was repetitive and oh you know two people <laughs> They are two different people. I realize that is surprising, but they are two different people. And 
We even hung out with two other people, three other people. Can you believe that? Waiting Five... in line at Chipotle does not mean you're hanging out with somebody. <laughs> Bill, don't don't ruin this for me. Don't, don't ruin your vibe. <laughs> you, you can you can tell him happy birthday on here. You can say his name. Happy birthday, Will. Happy birthday, Hopefully Will. Hopefully he'll listen to this episode. Happy birthday, Will. <laughs> when he was um, in six months. Oh, he's got to listen now. He doesn't. He actually he does usually listen. He enjoys oh. so. Okay, cool. Well, happy birthday. Is he is your friend. He doesn't have much to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Hey, if we're going to pick on me even off the year, I'm going to get in every joke I can. <laughs> like, you don't pick, like you don't pick on me all <laughs> oh, the time. No. Like you off. don't pick on me all the time. Don't Mr. Passive Aggressively letting me know you guys have been on here for 20 minutes. minutes. <laughs> well, I just... Yeah, guys. Pounding we away at the keyboard. We were going to start recording at 3 o'clock. Todd and I got in the studio at 2.50. Jamie was like, at three, 3 or 4, Jamie's like, I'm getting ready. I'm like, okay. She doesn't shut up. I said to Todd, I'm going to passively aggressively send her emojis. She finally goes, why did anyone tell me we were in here? I go, well, we said 3 o'clock. It's 3.15. <laughs> I just don't expect people to start on time and not tell me that they're starting on time. <laughs> Well, I assume unless I'm going to be late, I don't have to say anything. Okay. Well. That's the way I, I, I learned my lesson for now, and I'll let you know. I'm going to start getting on here five minutes early and timing you guys to see how long I'm left alone. And I'm not going to tell you <laughs> I'm in here. I'm just going to get in here. <laughs> okay. We're going to use a different program next week and see if she knows. <laughs> And then I, I seriously was, I've been ready this whole time. I like got my stuff set up at like 2.30. I like sure had my did. headphones half off. Easy to I say did. that. Easy to say that when you're not here. I know. I was, I was busy. What was that? It's <laughs> not like you're using one of those, like those, uh, it was, pots for your nose. It was, yeah. it was Todd's snort of derision, I think. Yes. Yes. Did you? Snort of derision. Sounds like you got to roll some dice for that. <laughs> Do you have a spell slot for that? <laughs> it's, it's innate knowledge. <laughs> God, we're so darky. This is sad. <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about today, guys? Well, today, so... Besides my cloaca. Besides Todd's cloaca. <laughs> you know, cloaca. I was... I was telling Will about your cloaca, which led oh, us really? to look Did he get up excited? and learn more about cloacas. Yes, we were very excited <laughs> about it. I don't remember. There's even a term for when you're reproducing through your cloaca, and I forgot what it was already. Oh, nice. But when you decide to have your fifth child, it might be cloacally if you want it to be. <laughs> if, yeah, if we choose to go that route. Um, if they get a fifth I'll child, you know. we're about to start charging for the podcast. <laughs> Can we have a penny an episode, please? <laughs> uh, anyways, no, no more, no more. You say yeah, that now. <laughs> so um, today's uh, mostly local myths, legends, cryptids, and at least one story that just caught our attention that wasn't local to any of us. Yeah. Well, let's also remember, like, so our first episode that was. It was super low quality audio wise. You like can't hardly hear most it of was us. Low quality. And just low quality in general. 
We know we apologize every episode, but I think that one was like the bottom, the lowest of the low we could go. But not um, true. I can name another episode. <laughs> we don't talk about that episode, Bill. <laughs> no, we do not. Folks, one day we're gonna um, do we do another episode for you guys that was so bad. As soon as we got done recording it, I said I think I said to them, I'm not joking. We don't have to publish that one. It was so bad. And we, we did, did for we a while, yes. but then we took it down. Um, but we really enjoyed those stories, and so we thought we would do a longer local legend story retelling, if we wanted to, our stories from our first episode and finding some some new ones or maybe looking deeper in ones that we already knew. You said deeper. I did say deeper. I did say deeper. Well, uh, yes. Who was the like, first? I kind of want to hear. I want to hear the story from Scotland. Can we hear oh. that one first? Of course, because that would put me exact out of order all the way. But fine, okay, I see. How it is. <laughs> Did we agree <laughs> to an order? <laughs> no, but I, I had them worked down in, in order. On oh, my page. well, then go with your first one, sir. No, it's okay. The first one's out of Scotland. <laughs> Originally, I was going to tell you guys the legend of Sawny Bean. And if you guys don't know who that is, look it up. If anyone. Is interested, we'll gladly tell that one another time. But uh, that one is almost 100% a myth. I found what it was probably based on. Apparently, around 1340, there was a huge famine in Scotland. There was floods, lots of rain, and plagues of mice and rats. And at one point, everyone started banding together, scavengers, to hunt for food in what's called the Grampian Mountain Range, which is part of present day Congorms National Park. One of these scavengers was a butcher named Andrew Christie. Well, once when the party died of starvation, because there was almost nothing to go around, even scavenging together, he uh, he cut up the party member of the scavenger, and he served him to all of his, the living, surviving people. Well, guess what? This is the best meal they Ooh. had in weeks. They, des- they decided this wasn't that bad of a taste when you have nothing else. So they Ooh. started, you okay there? I'm just really, I don't know why, but I'm really grossed out by this. <laughs> Maybe oh, it gets about- it's- Oh, God. Well, they they just... <laughs> They decide they're going to start focusing on human because there's more humans than there were uh, animals at the time in the where they live, I should say. So they began focusing on travels and their horses. What Christie would do is, well, his name was Andrew Christie at this point. He began uh, using a hook on a rod, which is called a clique, to grab the people for they couldn't get away, and they would kill them, kill the horse. He'd slice them up and solve them. And that that weapon was called a clique. So he, if, instead of Andrew Christie, his new name is Christie Cleek. Kind of like, you know, like anyone else, they, they get a monocle. They, they use the word sobriquet, which I never today. Um, at least 30 people riding their horses were killed in this manner. Wow. It got bad enough that an armed force from Porth came looking for them, defeated them. Only scavenger to escape was Christie Cleek. Um, this, this one probably actually happened. Because unlike a lot of the other stories, the people who wrote this one down were actual historians. And he, for a long time, Christy Cleek, at this time period when he ran away, it became what they called a bugbear. A bugbear is what we call a boogeyman. So, like, you know, you better be good or Christy Cleek's going to come get you. That's what people would tell their kids. And this caught on very quickly. White stuff's flying off my bed. I'm sorry. Not flying, falling. And, those, and the, the city of Dumfries was very much known for telling the kids, behave, Christy Cleek will come get you. Oh, well, interesting. Yes. And the Maxwell House, this was also true. And the husband slash father of the Maxwell House was a man named David Maxwell, who would always tell his wife, don't scare the kids like that. And it was 
all this talk of cannibalism and violence really upset him. She thought her husband was a little bit of a pansy for this and would continue doing it. Well, he got sick as a children growing up. So I think they were around 18, if I remember correctly. Folks, if I'm, if I'm wrong on that, I apologize. Reading a lot of this in the old, almost Shakespeare-type English, trying to piece together some of these stories. And he wanted to confess stuff on his deathbed, including stuff involving his brother. And he said it'd be very hard to find his brother. And his wife said, why? We just have to look for someone with the last name Maxwell. There's no, you don't. You have to look for someone with the last name Christie. And it came out that David Maxwell was Christie Cleek, also known as Andrew Christie, his original name. So this man who killed and ate over 30 people with his friends success, not, did not only successfully escape, but he actually went to another town, had a wife, had kids, and they'd grown up before he died. Damn. Oh, wow. And it's crazy, wow. though, because anyone that knows me that listens to this podcast, I love all things Scottish. I had never heard this story before. And then to find out, unlike a lot of the other stories and legends we cover, this one is more than likely true. Because this one doesn't involve, well, no, there's no betting of science or physics for the story. Unlike a lot of the other ones. So, I don't know. This one really caught my eye. It was a short one. but you guys interesting. Can, you guys can actually look it up. And I, I can try to find some of my references and post in the group people want. And this story, though, led to Sonny Bean, who's a legend of a, a clan of cannibals in Scotland. But mm. 100, 150 years, I think, after this fact. But Interesting. Mm, there's almost no proof that he existed. But I still gladly covered him. Anybody ever wants. It looks like Christy Clique really did exist. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I like that one. I, I really like that they turn him into a boogeyman. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's like me telling my kids, like, hey, you guys <laughs> better be home before dark or Jeffrey Dahmer is going to eat you. <laughs> and for those who don't know this, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer did not let that fall for me. Yeah, yeah. That's that's great. And some of the people through the podcast group I've met Todd and Janie through, I've actually drove them by Jeffrey Dahmer's uh, childhood home. Wow. <laughs> it's creepy because it's an odd house. It doesn't sit facing the road. The front door faces the neighbors. That's weird. <laughs> no, it, it is. It looks like someone built the road after the house, but that's not the fact. Wow. Maybe maybe it's one of those where like the door used to face into like a carport or something. That would maybe make more sense. I don't know. I'll, I'll send you or guys s- photos one day. Yeah. But can you imagine being such a bad person back then? That you become the boogeyman of your country while you're still right. alive. Right. And you're in hiding. Yeah. And people people tell the like, thing for David Maxwell in his head, he was hearing, be, be good or your dad's going to come and get you. Damn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I thought that was crazy. Yeah, that, that is, is crazy. Yeah. <sighs> well, who wants to go next? I will happily go next. So I focused on my home state of West Virginia and anybody that knows anything about paranormal knows that West Virginia is just kind of a hot spot. Uh, So I'm going to start off with a little piece just about the state itself. Uh, So as states go, West Virginia is one of the smallest ranking 41st in size in the United States with about 24,230 square miles. It may be small, but it is packed with lore and accounts of apparitions, poltergeists, witches, shapeshifters, Bigfoot, mysterious birds and creatures, strange lights in the sky, demon dogs, weird cats, and a host of unique entities that have both amazed and terrified many a witness. 
and of course, most notably in there is the Mothman. We'll have to cover him someday, but not today. I want to yeah. cover him soon, actually, Todd. I was going to talk to you about that later with you guys. Okay. Um, I found some Mothman Ohio stories, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there have been some like quote unquote sightings recently. Yeah, uh, in yeah, Chicago. I, so right, yeah, I was gonna the say the time Chicago, might be right to talk hope, about. Hopefully, Mothman. the Mothman doesn't get robbed or shot in the meantime. Right. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> Sorry we could go to the Mothman Festival. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. coming up. It's well coming up in September. It's been canceled the last two years because of COVID, mm-hmm. uh, but it looks like this year it might actually happen. So nice. that's exciting. It's a good time. That's awesome. Um, so anyway, uh, West Virginia is almost entirely mountainous, hence the name The Mountain State. And it is the only state that is fully within the Appalachian region, with the Alle- Allegheny Mountains also in the north. The Appalachians, and I should say, uh, it can also be said Appalachian. It just kind of depends. Um, I've heard it both ways, and as far as I'm as far as I know, both ways are correct. It just kind of depends on your local area. So anyway, the Appalachians are some of the oldest mountains on Earth, dating back more than 300 million years. The mighty Ohio River forms the state's western boundary against Ohio, and then other stores, other states along its borders are Kentucky, Pennsylvania, Maryland, and Virginia. The remote, densely wooded mountains and hills and lonely hollows called by everyone here, haulers, mm-hmm. offer the... Uh, yeah, yeah, seriously. Okay. If you say hollow, nobody's going to know what, what you're talking about. Yeah, no, uh, no one knows. Todd, when you said, <laughs> when you said a, ho- a hollow, I'm like, what's he talking about, too? Because the hollow's here, too, because of you guys. <laughs> no, it's I'm not glad a we... hollow. It's a holler. That's right. I didn't know it was a hollow. I've never heard that before. I always thought mm-hmm. it was. They, they offer ideal habitats and hiding places for all things strange. The state is full of small towns and hamlets, many of which still retain an aura of insulation, isolation, and leeriness of outsiders, which I can definitely attest to. So my first story, I'm going to go with uh, the story from episode one. Uh, This is the story of Burnt House, West Virginia. A traveler on the highways and byways of Appalachia will occasionally come upon a hamlet whose name may stimulate his imagination much beyond what he actually sees. Few will, however, permit themselves to speculate to the extent of the bizarre events which occurred at Burnt House, a village located east of Smithville on State Route 47, the Stanton-Parkersburg Turnpike. When the Parkersburg to Stanton Turnpike was being built through Western Virginia, many people were attracted to it as a passageway to the West, and for some as a location of new business establishments. Among these was Jack Harris of New York, who while on the way West with his son William and three slaves, decided to build a tavern at the present site of Burnt House. The tavern was a two-story log structure with a glass-windowed lookout, which was a practical addition often found on frontier structures. In time, the Harris Tavern became a regular stagecoach stop for passengers and mail service, as well as a headquarters for pack peddlers, which were um, kind of a traveling peddler that would sell wares off of the back of horses or or donkeys. 
Okay. Um, yeah, it was for a small time period. Anyway, it was, it was kind of prevalent. Um, when Dolores, a beautiful slave at the tavern appeared in new dresses and adornments commonly sold by the peddlers, local gossip took notice and began to speculate over the source of her good fortune. It was commonly known that Dolores and William Harris, who is the son of Jack, uh, they were quite fond of each other. Soon after, it was noticed that some peddlers who arrived there laden with heavy packs of goods disappeared overnight. A more damaging rumor was related by a a Harris Tavern stable boy who told of seeing William Harris with one swipe of a razor-sharp horn-cutting knife, cut the head off of one of these pack peddlers. The body of the peddler was then dragged by William, with the help of a slave, across the turnpike and up a ravine that is now known as Dead Man's Hollow, or Holler. Holla! Holla! <laughs> That's even better when you do it. <laughs> Holla! Back <laughs> Meanwhile, Dolores disposed of the head and cleaned up the gory mess. These rumors Dolores spread- is the kind of girl you want as your friend, but also you don't want to, you know, get on her uh, bad side. I think he's a ride yeah, or die like that. I mean, she's ride or die. <laughs> right? um, the original Bonnie and Clyde here. <laughs> West Virginia Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Well, they're yeah. not siblings. Well. Well. <laughs> some um, family wreaths are, well, some family trees, sorry, are actually just, Family wreaths. Branches. So. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> uh, these rumors spread far along the course of the turnpike, and westward travelers were warned not to stop overnight at the Harris Tavern. The business of the stagecoach company was so affected that it secured the services of the Pinkerton Detective Agency to investigate. Oh, wow. That's serious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, pretty That's well, crazy, man. Pretty well known. So anyway, um, immediately Jack and William Harris sold the tavern along with Dolores and another slave to the widow, Susan Groves. And then the Harrises headed west under aliases of Jeff and Tex Howard. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also think it's kind of lame that we find out later they run to Texas, which, you know, in that time period, that was definitely like the Wild West frontier. Yeah, no but I think it's kind of lame right? that you're you're running away to Texas, so you change your name to Tex. Like, come on. Right? Yes. <laughs> they lacked originality on that one. Yeah. Let's see. So, so one Sunday morning, when Parson Woodford was going into the third hour of his fire and brimstone sermon... Some members, (laughs) some members of the congregation became restless when the odor of something burning came to them. An inquisitive young man opened the church door and promptly announced that the tavern was afire. As all the people approached the burning building, they saw a person swaying and dancing in the glass enclosed lookout. It was Dolores in her finest raiment dancing and singing while the building burned around her. The fire was out of control, making it impossible to rescue her. While the people watched, the lookout with Dolores inside, still singing and dancing, 
fell through the second story ceiling and disappeared from view. It's said that Dolores had been extremely unhappy in her new situation. And this act of self immolation was her chosen way of escape. And it's much speculated that she's the one that set the fire, though nothing was, you know, nothing could ever be proven. Well, I mean, Um, she was dancing in it. So we assume she said it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it would make sense, you know. So after the tavern burned, stagecoaches continued to stop at the hitching post in front of the burnt house to deliver mail. Thus, it was that the village of Burnt House got its name. And it's still named that to this day, although there's not much there. I think there might have been a little bit more in this time period. As local legend has it, Dolores, in spirit, returned to the community a number of times after her tragic demise. Usually on damp, foggy nights, she came, at first a wavering flame, then, taking the form of a young girl, she would dance over the ruins of the old tavern and finally drift over to Dead Man's Hollow with a plaintive moan. Then she would disappear. On a certain day in 1882, about 30 years after the tavern had burned, this phenomenon of Dolores's reappearance occurred for the last time. It is of interest to note here that on the same day, fate caught up with William Harris, alias Tex Howard, when he was hanged <laughs> in Texas for robbery and murder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm glad. I'm glad. So wait, uh, her last hmm. appearance was on the day that he was killed? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Right. Hmm. Right. Um, So on this day, the the same day, it's said, and supposedly it's recorded. I could not find any actual records of this, but, you know. Anyway, uh, in the community of Burnt House, a terrifying electrical storm swept across the valley. Daylight turned to darkness. Torrential rain and gusty winds bent huge trees to the ground while thunder shook the earth and balls of fire, I'm assuming lightning, rolled down the turnpike. In the midst of the tempest, Dolores came and, after dancing for a brief time over the old tavern site, she drifted off towards Dead Man's Hollow where her last agonizing wail mingled with the storm. Today, the traveler will find that the tranquil environment of the community of Burnt House belies its historic and legendary past. So, it was some years later, I I don't have the exact date, uh, the tavern was rebuilt, and then, um, again, I'm not sure of the exact date, but then it uh, it was bought by somebody else, and it's been transformed into a private residence. Um, so you, you can definitely find it on like Google maps. Um, you can go buy it in person. Although I would ask anybody that does, please don't bother these people. You know, they're just living there. Uh, they have said in the past that they have never personally seen anything. I also did find some Reddit threads where people today, uh, they say they, kind of avoid dead man's hollow. I guess there's uh, some riding trails near there where uh, people frequent with, you know, ATVs and Jeeps and whatnot 
Um, and it is still somewhat avoided. There is a little bit of a taboo feeling around that, that area, but, but anyway, yeah, I, I really liked that one. It kind of spoke to me. I'm not sure, you know, how much of this lies in truth or, but, uh, I, I really enjoyed that one. It kind of spoke to me. So that's the tale of burnt house. I for- really Man, cool. I forgot some of the details of that. That was really cool, Todd. Thank you. Um, I'll go next. I'm also going to retell a story that I told in on, in the first episode. Um, cool. And all of my stories focus on Illinois, which is where I grew up. And one of them is actually um, personal. Well, it's not... I talk a little bit about my experiences, which my experiences aren't that significant, but um, there was some interesting things happening actually at my high school. Um, My high school, they built a new one, I think two years before I graduated, and then they demolished the old one, and that's where these things happened. Um, But I'm going to tell that story later. Um, The first place I want to talk about is Crenshaw House. In South Central Illinois, there's a small town called Equality, which is ironic, considering that the Crenshaw House, the most famous house in the area, was known as the Old Slave House due to the uh, activities, if you will, of the builder and owner of that home. Crenshaw Mansion during its time was called Hickory Hill. Um, The Old Slave House became a moniker later. And Crenshaw House or Mansion is often what it's referred to as now. Um, While Illinois at that time, which is, I believe, the 1820s, uh, Illinois was a free state. It was not a free state for like the first seven years or so, but it was made one later. That being said, there were a small handful of citizens who held permits to own slaves. And one such man was John Hart Crenshaw. He was a landowner and actually an illegal slave trader, which I'll explain more of that shortly. A creepy fact about John Crenshaw that I also want to mention is he's the great-great-grandfather of killer and suspected serial killer, Joe Ball, also known as the Alligator Man or the Butcher of Elmdorf of South Texas. Um, hey, Jamie. Oh, wow. Yeah. I would like you to tell that story one day, too, because we talked about that before. I really think that would be awesome to tell. Yeah, it's his whole story is odd and interesting, and that's definitely one we can cover. Uh, Crenshaw leased the state-owned salt works at the Illinois Salines or the Great Salt Springs, which was two saline springs along, and I'm just going to keep saying saline, (laughs) along the Saline River in that area. Uh, He was extremely wealthy, and at one point his taxes amounted to one-seventh of the revenue of the entire state. He oh, owned, wow. yeah, right? He owned, yeah, that's pretty big. That, yeah, and we'll, you'll see later, like, this guy had some pull, and he he did go to court for some of his actions, and there's proof for both cases. However, the first one, uh, I don't think everyone's a trial, and the second case, uh, was, he was acquitted on a technicality. Hmm. Yeah, it, I'll, I'll talk more about that in just a moment. He owned thousands of acres of land and and leased 30,000 acres to the state. He owned, I, this number varied, but he owned between 700 and 800 slaves, if not more. Uh, in 1838, John and his brother Abraham 
use their wealth to build the mansion on Hickory Hill. I'm sorry. Yeah, 1938, not the 1920s. Another interesting aside is Lincoln supposedly stayed at the home. And while the story for years was debated due to inaccurate dates, historians claim to have figured out when he might have stayed there, even though there's no clear evidence that he stayed there from the oral histories, which vary from person to person. Three lines of Crenshaw's, though, and an external family have similar stories of him staying there. An interesting thing when I was reading, like a detailed, in quotes, story of of this potential visit, the writer, like, puts down, there are those that, like, people that don't believe this story as critics, uh, critics of the old slave house, which is kind of funny. It's so weird to me that people, like, how they look at Crenshaw and his life and, like, kind of dismiss that he was a terrible person, even though he was a super terrible person. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all the language around it is is... Not surprising, frustrating, but also kind of fascinating. Anyways, uh, the story is that the Crenshaws hosted a a party or a ball in honor of debates that were happening in the area in 1840. Lincoln likely stayed the night and he was debating in the area. They know that for certain. And, uh, you know, it was customary to have like a party or something and have both sides potentially come. Um, And it seems likely that Crenshaw definitely would have been trying to cater to both political parties. He wouldn't have aligned with either one of them because he was trying to become the sole leasee of the salt works at the time. And he wanted to be named director of a state bank in nearby Shawnee town. So basically it's all politics, baby. Yeah, it's all politics, baby. Crenshaw was notorious uh, he was involved in what's called the Reverse Underground Railroad, and Crenshaw House was considered a station on it. And the Reverse Underground Railroad is exactly how it sounds. Those so involved, sad. it's so sad, transported. They would seek out escaped slaves and take them back to their owners. But in many cases, and Crenshaw included, they were kidnapping free blacks and selling them into slavery. And in some cases back into slavery because they would also capture people who had like been given their freedom or who had purchased their freedom and had moved North and they would try and send them back. Can I ask a question connected to that? Yeah, sure. I thought I read someplace. Probably you might've said this to me off the air last time. Didn't they find out some of the, the slaves that they captured were never even freed because they, they were people that literally came to this country under different circumstances. Like they had nothing to do with slavery at all. Yeah, like some of them were born like were born free. Like their yeah. parents had already been free or they had immigrated later. Yeah, that's what um, I thought I heard from you before. Yeah. That blows my mind. Right? It's it's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um Yeah, it's nuts. And it's awful. Crazy is the wrong yeah, word. It's yeah. awful is what it is. The whole thing is awful. Either way. Um, Yeah, for sure. But they would sell them back into servitude in states that allowed slavery. Uh, the The home had a third floor attic, which contained 12 rooms, long to believe to be where, um... Crenshaw operated a secret slave jail for kidnapped... For his... The people he kidnapped. Uh, that being said... I'll I'll talk, like, a little bit more about it, but archaeologists don't necessarily agree with that i saw conflicting reports some of which said there was graffiti in some rooms that made them feel like 
it wasn't from kidnapped people. It seemed to be from young girls, which I don't know that that makes it any better. It, it, it was, it was really weird. Like looking at the, looking at like what I was seeing from the archeologists was like, they were saying that like there was quote unquote graffiti, most likely from girls. And it was like the date and their height and weight. And they, they assumed that it was like a novelty thing where they had gone and weighed themselves at some local, um, some local company. I don't remember what kind. And it was just like, you're kind of making leaps and bounds there, buddy, <laughs> to, to justify that. Cause like, who knows why that's there? It was just, it was really interesting. Um, and they also said that like the third floor appeared to be modeled after like a steamer ship. And they claimed that Crenshaw uh, probably used it as like traveling workers quarters, which I'm just like, it could, you could still put kidnapped people in there because there was also, there's also been mentioned that there were signs of like where chains could have been attached to the wall. So hmm. maybe it was multi-use, you know, Todd told a story about <laughs> robbing and killing. I told a story about cannibalism and somehow your story's dark with an alls. I know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> just gotta say yours is the darkest so far. Uh, And then, so, as I mentioned earlier, a grand jury indicted Crenshaw for kidnapping twice. Once in the mid-1820s, which the outcome is unknown. That's the one where it seems like charges, like, the charges just disappeared. And then in 1842, when he was was acquitted on a technicality. Uh, Even though evidence strongly suggests that he was, in fact, committing the crimes he was accused of, it's and which that was even stated on a state of Illinois government website, which kind of blew my mind. That's that's what is interesting is like in one breath, people will kind of be trying to justify him. And then another, they'll be like, oh, yeah, but there there's proof that he did this shit. And it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Uh, in 1828, Crenshaw kidnapped Frank Granger and 15 others and moved them down river to Tipton County, Tennessee and sold them as slaves he kidnapped a woman named Lucinda and her children in 1828, sold her to, in Kentucky. In the 1842 case, Ken, Crenshaw had sold the contract of a woman, Maria Adams, to slave runners, and she and her children ended up being kidnapped into slavery in Texas. And the, I think the main reason why he got taken to court over that is it's illegal to transfer a contact outside of Illinois. She was an indentured servant, but she ended up being a slave. Uh, He also kidnapped Peter White and three others, all of which he sold into slavery. However, Peter White and his companions were later rescued. So one upside. By 1850, the Crenshaw family had moved from the home into equality proper and hired a German family to live at the house and operate the farm. Crenshaw sold the house in 1864 and died in 1871. Stories of strange noises upstairs when no one was there begin in 1851. Despite accounts that the rooms were slave quarters, which I said this earlier, Crenshaw family stories try to indicate that it might have been, uh, there was a difference between household servants and field hands, which that you kind of see across history and other places too it's not surprising um but it seems like they were just kept distinctly separate from the victims of crenshaw's criminal activity Mm. uh i already mentioned the traveling quarters part and 
which was funny, like you um, said, they could still have been traveling corridors and still have been used for human traffic. Yeah, I I have a feeling they were multi-use. This isn't a uh, killing gun, this is a defensive gun. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's a multi-tool. One thing, too, I forgot about this. So I did revisit, like, I revisited the story to look and see if I could find out anything else. And when we previously did this episode... I had found many mentions of a door on the back of the house that was large enough to allow a carriage to pull inside and conceal Crenshaw's illegal activities. However, when I found that archaeological report, it was actually discovered that there was a large back porch and a carriageway. So carriages would have pulled up to the back door, not actually inside. From these archaeological digs, it's been revealed that Crenshaw was meticulous and ostentatious uh those are my words for him because reading about his frivolity was pretty funny uh on the property he had a fancy outhouse built of stone blocks and hung a mirror glass inside and they found remnants of the mirror glass when they dug um other findings it's been revealed that he had to keep the grounds had to be kept meticulously clean so there's actually very little artifacts outside of like the home and and the structures it's which is i guess odd the archaeologist who worked on the dig actually said he never dug anything like that and the third floor was decorated exactly like the rest of the house supposedly and was constructed at the same time as the lower floor so it was intentionally built and wasn't just a later add-on uh, by 1913, the home was in possession of the Sisk family, and they were offering public tours that promised a thrilling experience. It would appear that shortly after the tales of spooky sounds from the attic began is when the Crenshaws moved, which I thought was kind of interesting. Uh, other sources stated that there were remnants of bars on the windows in the third floor, and like I mentioned, signs of chains being attached to the wall. Rumors of what happened at the house led to someone burning down one of Crenshaw's sawmills in his life. Uh, I saw where someone claimed that he might have had his leg chopped off at one point. <laughs> but nice. <laughs> I couldn't find any proof of that. That like someone can't. Someone got mad at him for abusing a woman like out in the field and came and chopped his leg off. But guessing how? I hope that's true. I hope it's true. <laughs> But guessing how, like, highfalutin he was, I have a feeling he wasn't out in his farming fields doing anything. Let's see. Visitors claim on entering the house that it's overwhelming with a sense of sadness. They experience cold chills and light touches, hearing cries, moans, and on occasion rattling chains. The house has actually been closed since 1996, and it was sold to the state in, like, the early 2000s. Unfortunately, you can't go see it, and apparently the road to it is in incredible disrepair. And the house and grounds are closed to visitors, and it seems as though it will remain that way for some time, if not possibly torn down at some point. But I think there's some movement to like make it a historic place now, if you said this already i apologize for my adhd how far is this from where, you, where you grew up and where will lives uh i've actually not looked that up i don't think it's far well we but have let me you. look it up i'm looking it up right <laughs> no, now I'm just, no i'm just saying will should try to go there <laughs> <laughs> i mean we do homework assignment have... will will you're gonna we be a do. forced correspondent reporter <laughs> yes yes <laughs> 
I mean, I personally kind of want to see it. I would totally. It's so it's four hours from us. No, looks see, like. with the host, okay. we can't it get in is, trouble. We'd have other people do that for us. Oh, it, so <laughs> it's in southern Illinois, kind of right near the border of Indiana, Kentucky, and Illinois. Okay, it's not far from from like the Salt River and stuff. So that's interesting. It's actually, it I think it's closer for me to go there. Yes, than Will. <laughs> That's funny. Hmm. So, equality That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I, I don't know. Part of me is like, just tear it down. Guy was a jerk. But that's just, who wants to go next? Okay. So oh, I'm, I'm you know, almost done. Bill, I was supposed to ask you how ask many flat anything. tires you've had. In my life or with each vehicle? Because it's a lot. I lost count. I, I've had, <laughs> no, I've had at least three tires explode on me. Like actually explode! Wow. Yeah. Um. If there's a course that involves tires, I've had it. I've even had someone loosen one of my tires. Like I, <laughs> I was like, my tire feels funny, and I stopped at the store and like I'm, I'm checking my lug nuts, and they were all loose, all of them. Damn. The one tire. So like that's not an accident. And I thought I was paranoid, and I had looked at it, and I joked, and then the guy says, "Is anybody maybe wanting you dead?" Ha <laughs> Like no, seriously, somebody loosened all your lug nuts. Like oh crap. So um. Wow. Yeah. See, people, I might be rescuing a parrot, and someone just asked me a question. So I might be picking the parrot up later tonight. And it's from the, the rescue. What, what are you going to name this one? It's already got a name that actually fits with other ones. Yeah. All my main parrots have four-letter names, Appa, Momo, and Zazu. This one would be a possible mate someday for Momo, and her name is Lola. Oh, okay. cute. Bill's Bird Farm. So that's why it's important. <laughs> I've been waiting for about 24 hours or so for this message, and it just went through. And they, they're they actually asking me questions to make sure that I'd be a good rescue for this parent of theirs. Because, unfortunately, something happened where they have to rehome it. They didn't want to. Gotcha. And they're going to give it to me for free if I'm picked. And it's an, it's not an, like a super expensive one. Parents can run to between anywhere from like around $100. I don't count parakeets and that. To up to about 20000 each, believe it or not. So this one's normally about five to six hundred, but yeah, and the I'd, cage is no the cage that they have is normally about a two hundred and seventy five three hundred dollar cage, and they said yeah they're so serious they're going to give me everything. Wow. So I didn't wow. want to ignore the message. I apologize. That's okay. <laughs> oh, did Sorry. you find a new cage today? No, I actually I found. I'll show you guys yeah. pictures later. <laughs> I found some clasp on Amazon for twenty dollars oh, nice. total that looks like they're made out of metal. I don't think Oppa can figure them out. Nice. <laughs> we shall see about that. <laughs> well, here's the funny part. I didn't tell you guys what happened this morning. I meant to before we recorded. Then I'll do my next story. Sorry. So what I've been doing lately is I can never think of the correct name for them. Clothespins? Yeah. I've been using clothespins on Zazu's cage to keep his food waddle and cage door shut when I'm not in the room. Because Appa likes to try to pull his food out for himself. And he likes to open up uh, Zazu's door. And Zazu can't fly, so if he gets down, it's not safe for him because he can't get back in his cage. And mm. Appa will Momo to pick on him too much, but Appa likes his cage better. Not the size of it, just the location. Because <laughs> he's the big brother. You know how that goes. Well, yeah. he, uh, Appa broke two or three clothespins already, and he had two of them. So I still got like, I don't know, probably 20 of them. But today, <laughs> as I'm putting the clothespins on, Appa starts taking them apart right in front of me. He's not even waiting for me to leave the room. <laughs> he's so cocky and confident he's like yeah you can watch me do this it's fine <laughs> but by the time I got home from breakfast the new pieces got here ready to lock it though oh nice that's cool so I, I apologize folks for all that uh, I 
I have everything on mute and turned off, but I just happened to see that they messaged me, and I didn't want them to think I read the message, and I'm ignoring them. Because <laughs> I don't want them to pick somebody else. Okay, and you'll never believe what just happened. My app closed. There it is. I got to reopen again. Okay, I'm going to cover right now the story I did from our first episode, one of the lost episodes. Forever lost, because I think we deleted it. Like, not just pulled it down. We I did. Think, yeah, we, <laughs> it's gone. <laughs> or if it still exists, we don't have access to it. Maybe that's the best. I have it. I was going to ask you guys if I could delete it later. I have all the original copies <laughs> of all the originals. Yes, you should delete it. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to cover what's called the Loveland, Ohio Frog People. Now, before I forget, I'm going to call them frogs because everybody currently calls them frogs. Some of you who have ever studied Ohio Miss Legends or watched a great old TV show called Weird USA, or when they covered Ohio, I think they might have been called lizard people by some of the people, and I'll get into that later. But the best description given by most people, even if it was inaccurate, was frog people. So in May 1955 was the rumored fourth sighting. I've I've seen three to four versions of the story. Have all there's one version I've seen. Let's just say three versions I've seen only once each. There's a fourth version I've seen about 20 to 25 times. I feel like that one's got a little bit more credence. There's a traveling cross, traveling salesman in his car driving down Riverside Drive by the Little Miami River in Loveland, Ohio. I like the specifics on the directions, the location. We got the month. We got the year. We don't always get that in these stories. Here's where it gets strange. The salesman says as he was driving down Riverside Drive, off the side of the road, he saw three frog people talking amongst themselves just right off the road, totally oblivious to him being there. He stops and watches them, because how often do you see this? He says they're three and a half foot tall, all three of them, leathery skin. He's close enough at this point. He says they have webbed hands and webbed feet, bulging eyes, wide mouths, and deep grooves on the sides of their heads. Actually, I'm talking on the sides of their heads and on top of the head, like instead of having hair. This guy's very descriptive. So suddenly one of the frog people notices him. They pull out a wand, wave it, Sparks begin flying every place. The man speeds away, and he doesn't see them again. He does say, though, as he's driving away, after the wand was waved, he begins smelling alfalfa and almonds, and the smell seemed to trail behind his car. I don't, you- That's such a weird, descriptive detail. I love it. I know. And I know it's so strange to think those frog people, but I do believe, if I even go any further, whatever, I don't think this guy made this up. I think he truly saw something or thinks he saw something. Because in the 50s, to go to that much detail. Yeah, agreed. I mean, like like <laughs> webbed hands and grooves on their heads and bulging eyes. And I mean, it just, yeah, that's a lot of detail. Especially he, he was in a very conservative section of Ohio. Right, well, see, right. Him and talking like, about like his ostracism, possibly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The next sighting is March 3rd, 1972. A Loveland police officer of 1 a.m. named Ray Shockey was driving on Riverside Drive near the Totes Boot Factory and by the Little Miami River when a creature dashed in front of his car. Now, before I go any farther, I looked this up. The Totes Boot Factory is still around. They're still called Totes Boots technically, but they're selling under a different name. Uh, officer Shockey said the eyes glowed right back at his headlights and then it skidded away. Shockey said this, the creature was around three and a half to four foot tall and much of the same features as the 1955 sighting. The, uh, Shockey said the frogman took advantage of how he acted. He's only one this time. Scrambled to the roadside, hopped the guardrail, escaped in the river with only a trace left behind or a few scratch marks on the guardrail. Now, once again, this is a normal sighting in my opinion. We have an officer 
We have the officer's name, not just blank officer, like in the time slip episode, which huge pet peeve of mine. We have a time, we have a date, we have a location. Once again, Riverside Drive near the Little Miami River. And that's definitely going to be a theme. Oh, and before you go any further, I did some extra research thanks to David Schmuck, who uh, listens to us. I was telling him about the story ahead of time, and he had some questions, which made me dig deeper. I now know for sure that after this happened on March 3rd, 1972, that Officer Shockey told other officers about this. And even though nobody believed him, they all believed he was telling the truth that he thought he saw something because this wasn't a joke. It wasn't a prank. Officer Shockey took this very, very seriously. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I just learned that about 20 minutes before we got started to record. So hmm. two weeks later on St. Patrick's Day, Officer Mark Matthews was driving around the same boot factory on the same road when he was when he came by Kemper Road, which just comes off of it. He said he saw something crouched in the middle of Kemper Road. He thought it was roadkill. Officer Matthews exited his car to clear from the road. The lump jumped at him, dashed to the guardrail, and scrambled underneath, keeping eye contact with Matthews. Matthews drove, drew his revolver and took a shot at the creature. Shows you how long ago this was. The officer carried a revolver. <laughs> yeah. Matthews uh, said the creature stopped moving. <laughs> he recovered the body and put it in his trunk to show Officer Shockey. Now, he says he identified the animal as a larger iguana that was three to three and a half foot long. It was difficult to identify before because it was missing a tail, which iguanas can actually drop the tail when they're in danger. He thought someone had abandoned the pet when it got too large to care for. And the cold-blooded iguanas can survive in Ohio. It's happened before if they keep by warm pipes like the boot factory. I thought this was interesting because what people don't know is only recently has the end of that story been added where he recovered the body and took it. Up until about, I think, 2016, it was always said that whatever it was got away. Hmm. Interesting. Now, he claims that he always said he found a body and it was just a hoax. It was just a lizard. But if that was the case, how did he? How was he not more vocal any time between 1972 and 2016 about this? Right. 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 Now, there's a fourth sighting, which is strange. I don't believe this sighting. But it's, one, it's not on Riverside Drive. It's on Medora Road by Lake Isabella, which, guess what, though? It's, I'm sorry, not by Lake Isabella. It's a, you guys are going to hate me. Yes, it is on Lake Isabella. <laughs> no, I crossed on myself. I was reading it. It's by Lake Isabella off Medora Road, which is a block farther from Riverside Drive than the other stories. Okay. I'm getting confused, folks, because I forgot to put my uh, iPad and locked orientation. So as I was talking, it switched directions. So I was trying to read sideways. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such an amateur today. So the, this one, that was August 2016 by a man named Sam Jacobs and an unidentified girlfriend. He claims why they were playing Pokemon Go. They were crossing the train tracks on the banks of Lake Isabella on Madari Road, and they saw a huge frog staring at them. It said it stood on its hind legs, disappeared beneath the surface. Now this one, I would show you guys the photos and videos on the site, but they look so fake. I do not at all believe the 26, 2016 sighting. I think he had a friend in a costume. It's just so odd. Well, <laughs> if you look at the map, which I might put the map up of the general area. You should. This one it close, is interesting. This one's closer to the city than the other ones, like the actual mm -hmm. city city. I have a hard time to believe if there was a cryptid or even an animal trying to survive, that they would get that close to the, all those humans, all those sounds, when they did not need to to survive. And also, how is there no sightings between 2017 and tw 1972 and 2016 if it was that close to the city itself? The rest of these sightings were a little bit farther away from the main part of the city. But I do find it interesting, I showed you two, that all these sightings happen around a 4.4 mile length of road. All right. within two streets, 
Both of them by the Little Miami River because Lake Isabella is actually connected to the Little Miami River. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how I feel about that last one. The Force Three, I don't necessarily believing believe in a mm-hmm. frog person, I, <laughs> but I do believe it was more than just an iguana. Sometimes I know mm-hmm. an iguana can run on its uh, hind legs like a human. That is possible. For very short distances. Exactly. I, actually, I used to own some iguanas, and they can't do it very well, and they can't do it for very long. And, like, if you did see one doing it, like, there's no mistaking it for something else. You know what I'm saying? It's like, oh, yeah, that's an iguana running along, you know? And, and like, it's very awkward for them, you exactly. know? They're not, yeah, like, they're not, they're not built to walk no, or not. run like that you know no they're not now i do find it interesting that i found it also about 20 minutes before we recorded so i'm trying to go between all these extra notes that one part of my original then the 1970s south carolina new jersey and kentucky also had similar reports of they called them lizard men but a lot of the descriptions very much matching the frog men of loveland or frog people so i don't know i like this one i'm not saying it's true but i do find it odd that Two cops are definitely among the people. We actually have their names. They've been interviewed before. And even though Officer Shockey has passed away, Officer Matthews, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, is still alive in 2022. Doesn't mean that he is. It's hard to find accurate information sometimes. But he didn't add to the story until recently that he caught that it was just an iguana and he had the body. And he says he oh, he said that back then. I believe, like, if you talk to like, an author for a cryptid book, he might leave that part out. I understand that. But this was covered in newspapers, too. I don't believe all the newspapers did not put that in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. So, I understand, like, sometimes, like, papers want a sensational story. But, Jamie, you don't live too far from me. Todd, you live a lot closer to me. Most of our papers, they'll, they don't make up stuff like this. They're not into this at all. Yeah, we're not sensationalizing. We want to keep it short and save our money. <laughs> exactly. I just don't believe they'd play along with it. Could be wrong. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. Yeah, I don't. I don't I, see it. I I don't know. Sometimes I feel like earlier earlier stuff, people were more willing to just kind of be fanciful and fancy free. But maybe I'm wrong. Oh, I just found out. Um, the May the May nineteen fifty five one is actually May twenty fifth, according to some people, and they actually have a name for the salesman. As of two thousand five, it was it was identified as as Mr. Robert Honeycutt. Oh, interesting. So to me, that adds a little bit more to the story. Once again, they they. Huh. Through research, they have the the gentleman's name figured out and the exact day it happened on, which is not common yeah. for a lot of stories, right? And um, I, like I've been aware of this story since I was a kid, Same. Um, probably just because of the geographical location, I guess you know. But I, like I've always loved this story, um, but I always felt like you know that that first sighting from apparently Mister Honeycutt, I think you said, yeah. Um, like there's so much detail given and you know, like I don't care who you are. You're not going to mistake some little weird creature holding a wand that's shooting sparks. You're not going to mistake that for an iguana running across the road. You know what I'm saying? Or, yeah. or a large bullfrog. It's just not, you know, I mean, so I don't know. I feel like there's definitely something to his story. Like he, he definitely saw something and, you know, to me, it gives me kind of uh, like kind of gray alien vibes or, or some be. sort of little alien, you know, and I don't know. I, I feel like he definitely saw something, uh, but I really love the story. It's always been a favorite of mine. 
Yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's interesting. It. You know, there's not really a lot of like cryptid. There's not much cryptid stuff in Illinois. Like you'll occasionally hear about Grassman down in Southern Illinois. Which oh, you guys have the Grassman too? Yeah, we have a Grassman. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> we have one too. There's not much <laughs> on him though. And then there's, um, you know, and then some Mothman sightings in Chicago. But that's really it. I'll I'll have to get with you later. I've I've come across a few things. Um, one of which I was going to run by you guys for like a later episode, but there's some really cool accounts from like way back in the day when when rivers were the main you know main source of like major transportation. And there's some really early accounts of these um, like mer people that lived in the river, the Ohio River, and they were described as almost like wicked and evil. But we'll we'll have to save that for like another episode. But yeah, yeah, we'll we'll get into that later. <laughs> yeah, the Illinois meets the Mississippi like not all that far from my house because my the town I grew up in is right on the Illinois River. Okay, cool. Yeah, um, I might have to come to Grassman right. at some point too, guys. Because I didn't realize people outside of Ohio use the term Grassman. We'll have to see where all he shows up. That's interesting. Yeah. Todd, do you want to go next or you want me to go Absolutely. Again? I'll go next. Um, so I found this story was unknown to me until just recently. Uh, it's called Aunt Kate and the Booger. And I, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. It sounds like one of my family reunions. <laughs> but um, if you look it up, Booger is an old timey term uh, used Prevalently in the southern areas of the U.S., but probably in other areas. I think also maybe, maybe in England. I could be wrong on that. Um, but it's it's used to describe any manner of like ghost, hobgoblin, or other frightening apparition. Um, so in that context, you know, it it makes a lot more sense. Um, and this story, I have to say, the story was provided by Teresa from Teresa's haunted history of the tri-state. And she's got a, a blog that covers all kinds of fantastic, uh, like local hauntings and lore. And well, she's done it for like the tri-state, which is West Virginia, Ohio, and Kentucky. I'm on it right but I think now. now, I think now she even has more on there. She's got a ton. I've, I've been actually been following her for like five or six years now. I love her, her content. And I reached out to her. She gave me permission to share this. Um, so I'm going to read it Thank word for you. word. Yeah, I'm looking at her stuff yeah. right now. She's amazing. Yeah. yeah. I never heard Booger um, before. It's, you're right. Yeah, it's I it's from either. England. I love it. Right. So huge shout out to her. We're going to provide a link in the show notes for this episode. Thank you, Teresa. Uh, to yes, her blog thanks. spot. Yeah. Huge thanks. And all right. So I'm going to start out the first part. Uh, she's got a note, special note placed in there for this. Uh, so Teresa's note, today's blog post is another wonderful guest blogger submission, this time from local paranormal researcher Chris May. Chris has shared this awesome story passed down to him from his grandmother about a suspected witch living in the small coal town of Nolan, West Virginia. Enjoy this fascinating tale of what happens when you don't give a witch what she wants. And make sure to share this post with anyone you'd think who would also appreciate a little spookiness from West Virginia's southern coal fields. A huge thank you goes to Chris for sharing this story. 
I personally love hearing these old tales passed down from generation to generation, and I'm a sucker for anything related to our state's coal history. And I'm right there with her. I like this one really kind of spoke to me on multiple levels. Most of my family is also from not not from the area where Nolan is, but in south southwestern coal country. And it just, yeah, it really spoke to me. All right. So here goes. Uh, my grandmother told this story to me, according to her, when she was a child. An old woman lived next door to her and her family in the small coal town of Nolan. My grandmother stated that many strange things happened in and around the old woman's home. On one occasion, my grandmother, who is scared to death of old Aunt Kate, witnessed the old woman stick her hand back into a coal-burning stove and pull out hot coals and wiggle them in her hands without being burned. Oh, wow. Right? Crazy. Grandmother also stated that Aunt Kate would openly admit to witchcraft and on one occasion claimed to have fought with the devil himself, ripping his leg off and throwing it behind a bed. <laughs> that's that's wild. Right. Um, <laughs> the most disturbing story about Aunt Kate pertained to the old woman not getting something that she wanted. My great-grandfather had produced a garden several miles from his home every year. This particular year was very dry, and water had to be carried to the crops, as well as extra care needed to be taken to ensure the crops' survival. My grandmother helped her father throughout the growing season, and when time came to harvest, my grandmother worked with him to bring the crops back the long distance to the old home place. As my grandmother and great-grandfather were wheeling the crops past Aunt Kate's, she stopped them and stated, Harrison, give me some of them beans. Now, my great-grandfather was a very generous man. Always with the beans. It's the beans. It's <laughs> Insert the beans. bean joke here. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be kidney me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that was bad. Oh, that was bad. <laughs> You know it's a bad uh, pun when I even it even click with me. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a rough one. I tried too hard. <laughs> you got uh, you got to do better. You got to sort of walk a little bit farther. Fill your your jokes pair with a nice Chianti. Oh. Don't bring my cloaca into this. So. <laughs> bring something it's into a, it. <laughs> it's a opening of many uses, Todd. Uh, wow. <laughs> I hope your wife listens someday. Uh, yeah. This is part of the reason I think she refuses. Um, I mean, so anyway, it's, it's the cloaca. What else is it going to do? <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> so anyway, back to the story. My great-grandfather was a very generous man, but felt that due to the hard work that they had put in, the family should get first choice on the crops. He replied, old woman, we've worked hard for those beans and you're not going to get any. Aunt Kate was very angry at his reply and stated, okay, Harrison, you'll be sorry. And were they ever. 
That night, after the family went to bed, my grandmother stated that she heard something walking in the house. According to her, the, quote, thing walked into her room and stood at the head of where she was sleeping, and then it would turn and walk out of the room. My grandmother said that she had never been so scared. Because of this walking, she did not sleep all night. The next morning, my grandmother came in for breakfast and was confronted by my great-grandfather about the thing that walked to the night before. My grandmother stated that she and my great-grandfather were the only two in a house of 12 to hear it walk. My grandmother stated that her father took old Aunt Kate the beans without haste, and as he gave them to her, he told her to take your booger back, and she replied in an evil tone, it won't bother you no more. <laughs> and it didn't. Um, so that's the story. Uh, Nolan is an unincorporated community in Mingo County, West Virginia, located on the Tug Fork River. I'm glad uh, it's in it. like the south, southwestern part of the state. Real, I think right on the uh, border with Kentucky. So it's way down there. It's like Hatfield McCoy country. Now, have you ever looked up Mingo County on YouTube before, Todd? Or Jamie? Uh, not on YouTube. I no. highly recommend no, it. No, I haven't. Uh, a lot of people go down there with cameras and GoPros, and they go through some of the old uh, mining towns just to see how people would live there now. And sometimes they have to leave. <laughs> um, they're told to. Not always nicely. It's very interesting to see. Uh, like, Nolan, you can find pictures of Nolan, I think, even video. And it is sad. Yeah. It, it's just, it, it, I, I think people should go and look because you get a better idea of how these people lived back then. Because, and granted, they didn't live, it, it wasn't falling apart back then, but you get an idea of how close some of these houses are even wall. Because when you think of West Virginia, the country, you think of this huge distance between stuff. And it wasn't that way in these coal mining communities. Some of them lived very close to each other. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of fascinating history uh, that goes hand in hand with these coal towns and I'll have to look up the site. There's, there's a site that shows all of the abandoned coal towns in West Virginia. And there's oh, like, really? Oh yeah. I, I want to say there's like over 200, I think. And a lot of them, like some of them are kind of famous, but uh, most of them still have structures and, and remnants left and they, they're just completely abandoned and most of them have tend to have like a very spooky vibe. I definitely want to go check some out one of these days. I found one. There was a picture. I said road closed. It's right before the bridge. They had the sign up and there's literally a, a big gap in the road that no car can get over. Like, you know, if a person was walking, they'd fall to the death and they have two pieces <laughs> wow. of metal that look like almost like a bent siding for like something to try to get across and like two by four. Anyone that tries that stupid. <laughs> I'm, I'm just looking at it thinking, amazing. <laughs> so now we're Todd and Jamie are telling the stories. I like to look up stuff connected to the story where I can really get into it better. It helps with my ADHD, maybe. I don't know. Nice. Sure. It's like, Todd, I have a good theme from your last <laughs> yes. story. You said about Tex Howard in your fourth story. <laughs> I did not find a Tex Howard executed in Texas. But I found a Tex Howard executed in 1884 in Arizona that was part of the of the Cochise Cowboys. I don't know if you know who they are. He was hung in Tombstone. He was kicked into Ike Clayton and uh, went against the wide open of those guys. Oh, interesting. And it, it might be the same Tex Howard. It might be. Because they, they call him James Tex Howard. Uh, I can find nothing on him using that name up until around this time period. Interesting. Yeah, I'm going to have to look deeper into that and see if uh, we can find that is interesting. a possible link. And it could yeah. be a t- coincidence. 
But I thought it was kind of neat. And I remember you said either 1884, 1885 is when, what's her name, Darlene? It's when um, Dolores. Dolores is when she well, passed away. And there was some conjecture on if her name was Dolores or uh, I didn't write down the other name. It was it was very similar. Uh, so it didn't, I don't think it got recorded properly, but most accounts went with Dolores. So that's what I went with. I remember you said that uh, um, text was executed for robbery. That's one of the reasons uh, this text was executed, too. Yeah, and th- this one says 1882, but oh, 82, I mean, okay. that's only two years off, so. Yeah, who knows? It's so, funny. It says right. 1884 on one thing on here. It says 1884 on his headstone, but then it goes the date of December 8th, 1883. <laughs> yeah, so. so. It's hard to know when you, when you have these uh, situations going on. Is it possible that that December date is when he was, like, convicted and then they didn't? It looks like it might have been the, the date of the crime, the, the date of the conviction and execution that fast. Mm-hmm. So I, I had to go to it a little bit more deep, which I'll do off the mm-hmm. air. But like I said, whenever you guys <laughs> talk about this stuff, I look stuff up too. Maybe see if I can throw right. in a good question or not. Right. Um, should I go next? Do you want to go next, Jamie? Up to you. I'll go next. My next one's really short, so we can do that that one at the end. Okay. Because um, my third one's kind of short too, but oh. my next one's... Uh, uh, My next one's not long, long, but it's not short, short. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing it. (laughs) (laughs) So with my second story, I want to start with this. Nothing that I'm going to say, and I'll note it again when I say it. Nothing I say outside of like information about the family that originally built the house, the land and the business is like steeped in fact. Um, I... Love this story because of the crazy rumors around it. And one of my favorite is crazy rumors about it. I My friend actually informed me of something very interesting last night that made me be like, maybe it is true. Uh, so I'll, I'll talk about it. Um, I'm not going to say where this house is just because um, there are very lovely people who own it now. They have restored it and they're doing wonderful things for like the art community in a very rural place which you don't see a lot of um this house long lived in the imaginations of the people who drive by it uh and and it's my even my mom was interested in it. my mom was interested in it. my dad was interested in it. my brother was um and people that i know have like been inside the house and said some interesting things and when i get towards the end i'll I'll go into more detail. You definitely have my attention. (laughs) Same. Same. Um, But yeah, again, the people live there now. They're wonderful. I'm going to say the name of the house. I'm not going to say where it's at. So the Farwell house is located in a very small town. I think right now they have like 98 residents. So do we, do we even call it a town? Is it a village? Is it a holler? I don't Huh? Todd said Hamlet. Oh, can we call that a Hamlet? Is it a Hamlet? Maybe it's a Hamlet. I don't know what a Hamlet <laughs> is. Let's go with that. That's what I, we're gonna. We're that we're we're making it so. I'm not even <laughs> make it so. Number one. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna cut off for one second. I gotta admit that's why my ADHD kicked into on Todd's last story. I started looking stuff up. I have never heard anyone use the word Hamlet outside of like Shakespeare. I'm like, what? So then I, I, <laughs> so then I typed in the name of uh, Nolan. Then this uh-huh. came up. Then this came up. I'm like, oh, I'm in a rabbit hole on accident. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jamie. Go Anyways, ahead. it's okay. Um, Anyways, the town was founded in 1836 and was established as a shipping port, 
man by the name of Samuel Vale migrated to the to the town from Ohio and established the first store there. His daughter Grace Ann was was in Ohio still, and she had married Charles Farwell. Uh, shortly after Vale established his store, it seems like him and possibly someone from another town who was trying to, uh, sorry, sorry, I got, I had like a little pop-up, but it was weird. Um, (laughs) damn. (laughs) Anyways, it seems like Vale and, and another person who was doing some trade in the area convinced Farwell to to move there. Um, Farwell moved there with his wife, Grace Ann, and their son, Pulaski. And he was enticed to move there to facilitate goods transportation. Uh, basically, he was taking what was coming in from the steamboat and pushing it out to local towns. With his arrival, Farwell set up a wharf and a warehouse and quickly made the town an important shipping point on the river. Goods from western Illinois were funneled through the town, through a larger town about 10 miles away, and then they were filtered down through the port and onto steamboat. Farwell facilitated this operation and established Farwell & Co. in 1940. In 1948, his business had grown so much his brother Morrow who was also in Ohio, uh, came to help run the company. These brothers grew quite wealthy during the time, and after the Civil War, Charles began to build his mansion. Uh, The mansion sits atop a hill. Literally, like, uh, now there's quite a few trees in front of it, so you don't quite see it as clearly, but it would have been crazy to see at that time because other people in the area were still living in log cabins, and then you had this, this brick behemoth, sitting atop the hill overlooking the river. Obviously, from it doesn't say this, but clearly he built this home so he could, like, survey his domain because he did own some land in the area. Uh, The house was expensive for the time, with vaulted ceilings throughout, floor-to-ceiling windows as well, fine wallpaper, intricate woodwork, and a massive staircase through the three levels of the home. Uh, The house was built from local bricks that were actually made not far from the house itself, and it was designed in an Italianate style. I will totally include a picture of the house, because it's really cool to look at. A what style? Italianate. Okay, I'd look that up. Don't order that. Uh, By 1870, Charles's real estate and personal estate was valued at around $80,000, which in today's money... 855000 So, dude was doing okay, especially in the middle of nowhere. Uh, in 1872, the house was actually included in an atlas of the county. It was like a drawing done in the very middle of the book. And the book believed the town would become a large and thriving place due to its access to rail and river. The population at its peak was 960 residents. All of these wonderful things being said, when the railroad was working on coming through the area, because at the time it was thought they would be on the railroad as well, uh, Frederick actually ended up bypassed by the railroad. Uh, Shortly thereafter, the hog market diverted to Chicago, uh, which quickly became the hog market of the world or some moniker like that. Um, And along with... What? Huh? Huh? <laughs> I got so, all the stuff you did to me this weekend. Losing, you know, <laughs> losing access like this and poor real estate investment. He bought up the floodplains along along the river, which dumb idea, man. Uh, river trade started to dry up a bit, and Farwell and Co. faced a lawsuit in 1875 for trespassing, which. They paid off, they, I think, ended up having to sell something to pay off. And by 1877, the house was, the company was out of business. 
uh, Grace Ann passed in 1878 and Charles in 1879 from congestion of the lungs. The house and his debt passed on to Pulaski. And by 1880, Pulaski uh, was listed as a farmer in the census, as was Morrow, Charles's brother. Uh, after the business fallout, and by 1892, all the only thing Pulaski owned was the mansion and about 27 acres, which isn't that, which isn't bad, but it's, it's only not a great. mansion and 27 acres. Only a mansion and 27 acres. I hope I'm never that poor wife a mansion and 27 acres. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Around 1900, uh, well, sometime between the first 10 years of the 1900s, Pulaski moved to Chicago uh, to live with his son, and the mansion was abandoned until it was purchased by O.D. Arnold, an attorney in the county. He made some restorations to the property, and like it still exists today. At some point, the Howard family owned it, and they lived there until Edward's death in 2011. Um, I'm not sure which one of them... Is involved in uh, some of the stuff I'm fixing to talk about, and uh, after the after Pulaski leaves and the Farwells leave, the history of the house kind of becomes a little murky. The house is still there, and you know it's not really clear who owned it and when. And it seems like after the Farwells left, that's where my tale of debauchery begins. Uh, <laughs> legends mm. about the house. Uh, kind of, like I said, they begin after that. It's likely that they pro- probably aren't valid, but who knows? Like they could just not be valid because nobody wants to admit what they were doing, or they could be a distortion of the truth. Which, when I tell you what my friend told me recently, maybe that is the case. Uh, the beginnings are bland, but it comes as no surprise that and to me that's not surprising because the Farwells are busy building an empire. Uh, some claim that a riverboat captain bought the house at some point, and um, if maybe you know, maybe you don't know, especially back then and sometimes still now, folks who work on the river can be considered just like, just like pirates, you know, they're kind of rough around the edges, don't want to get involved with them. They're swarthy. Swarthy, if you will. (laughs) But anyways, Mr. Riverboat Captain, I don't have a name for him. Uh, would throw extravagant parties that teemed with every vice imaginable. Uh, my mom claimed that she had heard that the house uh, had been a house of ill repute. And when I was discussing this with my brother, I was like, maybe there were cores slash sex workers, whatever you want to call them in the house. And maybe the riverboat captain brought them there during well, his... I'm going to go investigate. Nights of debauchery. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, Scooby. Uh, so who knows uh the last owner of the house before the current or pornos (laughs) uh the last guy that owned it before the current owners um we know for a fact that he was eccentric um my dad's former business partner did some plumbing at the house and as did my mom's friend who does handiwork. And both of them said that the house was very creepy and super eerie. Uh, all the windows were always covered. And apparently the house was like full of antiques yeah. and oddities. Um, and then this is where I'm like, maybe it was happening there. But apparently when he passed and the house went to auction, which is when the family that owns it now bought it. The house was full of amazing antiques, including two things of note. 
a full-size taxidermied bear, and multiple 14-foot beds. 14-foot-long beds? 14-foot beds. <laughs> so. What do you mean 14-feet beds? I'm kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so... Maybe the tales of debauchery aren't so wrong, but I have always loved that house. You can all, when I was a kid, by by the time I was a kid paying attention to it, you could just see like little peaks of it as you rounded the curb into the town. And I, it's up like this massive road to the, it's at this like pretty steep drive. And I was always like, oh, creepy stuff. Let's go look at it. And so I actually went up there one time with my mom because my mom had to drop payment off for a friend that was working on the house. And she uh, was honestly kind of hoping that her friend would let her go in. But uh, he, she wanted to wait and see if he offered and he didn't offer. But he said that he had seen some odd stuff, but he never elaborated. Uh, I wish they would. By that. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, yeah, my- hey, I want to give a shout out real quick, Jamie, if you don't mind, and Todd. Yeah. yeah. I want to give a shout out to, uh, as we call him online, my SK son, Josh Evanow. Because he just sent yeah. me, he just sent me a message that yo Team Squatch sent me a picture of <laughs> one, two, three, four, five limited special edition uh, Sasquatch pops on stands. I'm trying One's to get rainbow. you guys one, but I yelled him because he has Lorraine Morwood in the background. That's awesome. But my, my son, <laughs> my my uh, my son Josh Evanow is grounded for watching Lorraine Warren. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to get you guys one of those. I know. I know. Oh, nice. Which I didn't my know. Surprise is ruined. I know. But... I'm sorry. <laughs> well, see what happened is Todd Jamie put in the in the post. Um, if anyone can get me one because you can only get them in one city in America. Well, pop yeah, at, at their headquarters, and it's like two per customer per day. Yeah, and Jake like Williams from Flask at Hand actually lives close by. He's the one helping us. One of the Woo-woo. ones. But we love when, you, Jake. When Jamie said she'd give five dollars extra to if we can get her one, I said I'll give five dollars more than Jamie. <laughs> I didn't say five dollars wow. oh, extra. Okay. I said I would make it worth their time. Oh, okay. Take that as you will. Well, I'm just going to do cash <laughs> because I'm not. I'm not sending them photos like you were going to. <laughs> I hate you. Um, where did I leave? Uh, I feel like I finished my story before I disappeared. I felt like I you hope. finished it. Okay. But I feel free to add stuff. Because I won't lie. I don't think I, I had I, any. I promise you I didn't say where, but I figured out where it's at. Oh, yeah. Don't say it. I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to send it not to you. Not that anyone's going to go there. Which I will say, that area it's that beautiful. area is where I had my uh, my time slip. Oh, which is that adds to it. Yeah, Jamie, uh-huh. Jamie, this is a family yes. podcast. No nip slips on the ear, please. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, time, time slip. Time slip. Sorry. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> I actually found a map with it from the ear showing it. I'll send it to you too. Oh yeah, please do. It, so, do we want to tell our third story, or do we want to? S- have like make it a little part two. What do you guys think? Um, how about I do mine real quick? Then if we want, you can do yours. I'm fine with that. Yeah, okay. I've got a, th- I've got a third also that it's pretty short. So oh, okay, let's just make it a long episode and then. <laughs> okay, I like that. I actually have two more, but they're both short. Okay, because I like to overachieve. <laughs> All right. So, um, Bill, what do you got, buddy? Well, mine is about Lake Hope, Ohio. Do any of you guys know that area? I do. Yeah, Lake Hope is a a lake in the state of Ohio in Vinton County. Vinton County is in southern Ohio. It's a very unique area. And if you've been there, 
you go a few blocks, there's a either ghost story or a story of violence that involved the end of slavery in the old days. Ask Todd and Jamie from Tales from Me of Todd from his own experiences. I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> you can't go far without hearing a new story. And one of my favorites, though, is called The Lake Hope Furnace. This is a very short one. I apologize to you guys. It's so short. But I've actually been to this one, which is why I wanted to include it. The Lake Hope Furnace was a furnace used for iron ore. And I found I just found online, because I'm always looking stuff up even as we go, that it was probably used between 1854 to 1874. So it wasn't used that, that long, and now it's part of Lake Hope State Park. But if any of you guys are oh, in the area at all, it's a very beautiful park. In fact, me and a few people listening, including Jamie, hopefully Todd, and others from a different podcast, or maybe talking about meeting up there sometime the next few yes. months. Yeah, technically, yes, technically yes, not yes. this park we're meeting up at, but this is within mm-hmm. twenty minutes of that park, other place. I don't want to give. That I'm going to drag Tracy with me. Yeah, I don't want to give that. You hear that, Tracy? <laughs> yeah, Tracy. <laughs> she's dragging you along. <laughs> Just say Dave Matthews is going to be there, and she'll come along. <laughs> and by Dave Matthews being there, I mean I'll bring some Dave Matthews CDs and we'll put them on. <laughs> There's multiple versions of this story, like the other ones. I'm going to go with the one I've heard in person, not the one on Google, which is that there's usually one to two security officers at night that would watch the fo- – actually, there's two or three furnaces there. They'd watch and keep an eye on them, make sure nothing was going wrong because the furnaces had to run all night long. You didn't usually turn them off and try to reheat in the morning. Too expensive. Now, I did read online. They said there's only two in the area, but I swear there was three when I was younger. Maybe it only was two. There's only one standing now well, right there. Well, go ahead, Todd. So it, it, if you look at it, there's um, like that entire portion of Southern Ohio is full of those those furnaces. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm sure if it's not like extremely – Local, I'm sure you could find a third and a fourth fairly close by. Yeah, I, uh, they're, I, I thought the they're was. all over. About- it's part of the, I think it's part of the like hanging rock furnace, something or other. Yeah, two months of I my think. life. It's a state we park. Hunt, maybe isn't three it? months, yes. I drove by it uh, to go any place I had to drive by it. So, I mean, it, it's kind of in my mind because where I live down, I actually lived by it and I had to drive by it to go to the store, not to get gas, but anything besides gas. Or pizza. I had to drive by this. Yeah. And the rumor has it, though, one of the nights, the two, so around 1874, the two security officers were together. It was a rookie and a, a veteran of the security team. And he was kind of a dick. He'd always kind of bully everybody and try to make them stare down into the file. He liked to always play his games. Well, I believe it was the night when the rookie was there, cornered most of the versions. Lightning actually struck. It hit him while he was staring down into the file. And he fell down into the fire while I was going. I don't know about you, Todd. Hmm. That's the way I've always told the story. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what I've heard. Yeah, and always, did you always hear too that he was a bully? Yeah, that's funny because yeah. Todd and I know the story, guys, from two different states before Google was a thing, pretty much. And yeah. we got that same story just from growing up. Um, so who knows if he got killed by the lightning or by the fall, by the fire? No one's really sure. But it was not a fun death. But people now claim yeah, on stormy awful. nights. I've even heard from people that live down there on just dark nights. While you're driving by or you get too close to the furnace, some people say you can see the man carrying the lantern back and forth along the top of what's left of the furnace. Now, what the way I always heard it, and what people I've seen in person claim, that you can actually see the fire come back, even though there's no fire there. Hmm. Like you, hmm. you, Interesting. Interesting. I don't know if that's true. And that's, like I said, that was a very short one. But yeah. I was down there a lot in the year 2000, and a buddy was down there for two or three years, even after I left. Hi, Nick. 
because Nick said he's going to listen. Now, oh, I never saw it myself. Nick never saw it himself. But a lot of people that we work with all claim that they have. Some wow. of them are local residents. Some That's had moved there for schooling. Because we all, we all had moved there for one or two reasons, usually involving education uh, at uh, a local college. And there's three or four ghost stories in that area that everyone was very adamant on. And I might tell the other ones on another episode like this one. But this is the yeah, one that yeah. stuck out probably the most to me. Just probably because of the other ones, I never went investigating myself. Like I said, this one, just going any place, you had to drive by pretty much. Yeah. Yeah, I can say. Um, so it was, it's been about two years ago. Uh, me and my wife, we went and stayed at one of the cabins at Lake Hope. And Ooh. very nice, like real nice cabins. The lodge is fantastic. It's real nice area to visit. Um, and so while we were there, we uh, we went and looked at the furnace, checked that out. And then um, we also made our way over to the Moonville Tunnel, which is allegedly haunted, has its own story, along with the little town that used to be Moonville. Of course, that's a whole different thing. But anyway, like I never saw anything, but, you know it was all daytime visits and like there were other people around and, you know, it was, it was just kind of like being in a park or something. Uh, but I can attest to the fact that there's a lot of local legends of ghosts, apparitions, Bigfoot. I mean, all kinds of stuff out of uh, this portion of Ohio. There, there's a lot of stuff going on. And when you actually go there and visit it, like I can believe it. For me, it was very much like being in uh, like a rural part of West Virginia because it's it's very remote. Uh, you your cell phone service is like spotty at best. Uh, there's <laughs> at best is a great way to put it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, there's not a lot of you know what you would find in like big towns. You know you're not going to find a lot of like restaurants and gas stations it's just it's very remote very rural it was very nice i I really enjoyed it but yeah it's very interesting story did i tell you what happened to me when i I was walking down i was i had a government t-shirt on that was part of my issued uniform from the state of ohio i know i walked into a gas station to get something to drink in a government truck and i wasn't driving i was like three other people and they looked at me and they go you one of them government folk and and (laughs) i said no no not me no it's a salvation (laughs) salvation army (laughs) because <laughs> he, he looked like he was going to pull out a shotgun if i said yes and down there Damn. people would pull out guns on you like the old days if if a government folk and i mean like 20 years ago still they were very much uh it was almost like the 1930s era times and it, it was definitely a little bit wow oh it was different and they didn't trust the government at all at all but if, if you guys get a chance to go down there just don't make a big deal who you are. If you work for the government, don't say you do. But go down. Oh, I'm serious. But it is worth the trip down there. It is very beautiful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, like Todd said, you're going to lose cell phone connection. Yeah. Um, I did. Also, there's a lot of, I noticed a lot of like horses and horse trails. Yes. And uh, there, there's a lot of the like horse stuff. I don't know what the name for that is. Equestrian. I don't know. Equestrian, whatever. Yeah, but there's a lot of that going on. Um, which seems really nice. Like I, I can't imagine going some of those trails on horseback. It'd be pretty awesome. Oh, and yeah, there's, there's a lot of horseback. And Lake Hope is beautiful for canoeing. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. In fact, I've even uh, flipped a canoe with Nick in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Sorry, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um. So I guess I'll tell my last story. 
So I this one was also uh, new to me. I just found it. And uh, again, it kind of really spoke to me. This happened or is maybe still happening very close to uh, where where my family live or a lot of my family from West Virginia live and are, and are from. So this one really spoke to me. Uh, so it's called the Headless Specter of Piney Bottom. Ooh, you got my attention. I, I was waiting for Bill to make a Piney Bottom joke. Um, <laughs> hey, it's 2020, you, 20, yeah, 2022, not 2021. I'm not judging anybody <laughs> for having wood in the bottom. <laughs> There we go. Okay. So in the Piney Bottom area near to Hearts in Lincoln County, West Virginia, there is said to be a dark apparition that stalks the area. It is seen as a dark, shadowy figure that is missing its head. It is said to be seen anywhere in the Piney Bottom area, but is most fond of the areas near to the Old Creek crossings. According to lore, whenever a rider would be crossing the stream in one of these areas, the headless apparition would jump onto the back of their horse. It would then wrap its arms tightly around the rider in a vice-like grip. The helpless rider would, of course, be scared out of their minds, but it was also said that the horses would react, becoming whipped up in a frenzied, wild-eyed panic. Once they finally made it to the other side of the crossing... The headless shadow rider is said to always have jumped off at this point and disappeared. This tale goes all the way back to the early 1800s when the original specter was said to be a shadowy beast who was described as part human, part animal, and also missing its head. The shadowy beast is said to have performed the same actions, jumping behind a rider and hanging on to the frightened traveler and horse until they made it to the other side of the crossing. That is crazy. With the, I know, right? That is crazy. <laughs> like, I couldn't imagine. <laughs> oh, I, 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 I like that. They were scared. No shit. If a headless thing jumped on me, living or dead, I'm going to be more than scared shitless. <laughs> right? I'd probably just have a heart attack yeah, and yeah. keel over right there. This fat boy would be gone. <laughs> um, <laughs> with the modern day advent of the automobile and the paved roads and bridges that soon followed, the legend of the headless apparition has faded, and there seem to be no modern day reports of the headless rider or the beast. Some speculate that the Headless Rider and the Beast were the same apparition with the, abil- with the ability to change its shape. I thought that was kind of interesting that, you know, maybe it's uh, Here's how I'm shape-shifting. Why are people still crossing this river? I'd be going uh, well, down a, a bit. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess, you know, especially in, in back before automobiles when you're riding a horse. I there's, don't care. There's only so many crossings. No, there's not. You know, or you're going to have to go miles and miles out of your way. Todd, if something is supposedly like, no. If there's a it's worth thing, it to go the miles out of your <laughs> way. If there's a supposedly jumping, like riding around and jumping on people's backs. I'm going to go, you know what? It'd take me another half hour if I go that way. I'm going the half hour. Right, yeah. I mean, I get it. <laughs> I'm surviving the horror movie. Um. So that's the basis of that story. I mean, that's really all there is to it. Um, but I actually do have family and friends from right around this area. And I reached out and talked to one of my friends. He wishes to remain anonymous. 
Um, he actually travels through this area on a regular basis for work. And he told me that a couple of times while traveling along Big Hearts Creek Road, which follows Big Hearts Creek, one of the alleged creeks from the tale, um, he said that very early in the a.m. he has seen shadowy figures moving along the creek bottom. And he also told me that one of his friends who lives in that same area uh, has completely abandoned a very expensive tree stand somewhere near to Big Hearts Creek. Uh, apparently, he was hunting one early morning when he witnessed a shadowy human-like figure making its way down the hillside. He said that it would disappear for a moment and then reappear several yards away from where it had been. Oh, hell no. That is eerie as fuck. Hell no. Um... He said that once it had progressed far enough down the hillside to be out of his sight, he quickly grabbed his stuff and left, and he hasn't been back, and he he just completely abandoned that tree stand, uh, which I don't blame him. I probably would have done I the mean, same. I would have had, a, I would have had abandoned it. my uh, pants that day. <laughs> <laughs> they would need clean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's some creepy stuff. See, I like, like I said, man, that's is... how you know, though, that it seriously scared him to leave something like that behind and never go back to it. Right. Don't, don't you know, right. not even to go back with friends or something. The light right. Of day, you know, and you're talking about like a country boy yeah. from like the deep rural country that hunts. He's obviously, you know, got guns. Hamlet like, and Hollows. These right. guys aren't these guys are not scared of a lot of stuff. You know, they, they're and they're they're very used to all of the like wildlife that's going to be living in this area. You know, he, it, it's not going to be like he mistook uh, a deer or a bear or a, what's the one they always want to use for the Mothman, the, the Sandhill crane, like definitely yeah, not. Yeah, I think, like, yeah, you're right. Oh, owl. He, right. Yeah. It wasn't <laughs> right. an owl. It was, you know, Ooh. like he, he Man. saw something weird and yeah, Yes. Um, and again, this is very close to like where my family's from. This is about, uh, I don't know, maybe a half hour, 45 minute drive away. Very close. So this one really kind of spoke to me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But, I like that one right. a lot. I got, yeah. Well, thank you. That, yeah, that was really interesting. I like that a lot. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, I will quickly tell my next two stories. One is actually about the high school I went to, which um, I don't remember the exact date it was built. It was like the late 1800s, early 1900s. And just for reference, the original high school was like three stories. And then in the 50s or 60s, uh, and it had a gym off the back. I forgot about that part. In the 50s or 60s, they added on a band room that was right next to the original gym. And then they also added on a wing that included like uh, a cafeteria, a bigger gym, a library, and like a couple hallways of classrooms. So just to kind of give you an idea of what this looks like. Um, my friend Will helped me out a Hi, lot. I think you will. Hi, Will. <laughs> and he was super close with one of our janitors. And, How close you know, they? she... <laughs> not close <laughs> in that way <laughs> think nerdy kids who don't fit in so we're hanging out with the adults that will talk to us that's 
That's what you're I, I get here. that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, it was hard being a nerd at our school. Any, but I digress. <laughs> I, or maybe I, we're I, just fucking weird. I don't me, know. My school wasn't exactly language. easy either. <laughs> right. Um, I don't think anyone's was. Uh, so she she said that she's seen things off and on, had activity here and there, but activity picked up after this young man passed away. Um, he passed in the late nineties. He did not pass at the school, but he was in school at the time. Um, my brother was actually friends with him and it, it was rough. Like the kids took it hard and she said, and she knew him. She was quite close to him. And, you know, my brother attests this too. He was, you know, he was a prankster. He loved to joke around with people, but he is also very sweet. And, um, she said after he died, activity picked up. It was never malicious, but it was like pranks and it happened regularly, like multiple days in a row or at least a couple times a week. And she just always, she's always put it down to him. And she said that primarily on the third floor, she would have one of those trash cans on wheels, you know, they're super loud and she would you know, pull up to a classroom with it, run inside to grab the trash. There's usually two cans in each room. And when she'd go back out to the hallway to put it in the trash can, the trash can would have been pushed down the hall and hmm. she wouldn't have heard it. And you definitely would have heard it. Like you heard trash cans anytime they were anywhere. So I don't, I don't know how, Interesting. but yeah, uh, she said she would be working and she would stop to do something and then she'd bend down and her shoes would be untied. And not like they had just, not like where one had just come loose, but they would just be completely untied. And it was never just one of them. It would be both of them. Hmm. And she said that the trash can movement happened all the time. And then um, my friend had a couple personal experiences, Will. And hope you don't mind me outing you like this. Um, Too late. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> And we also actually talked about, like, we both felt like there's a couple parts of the building that felt eerie, and they kind of happened. These things happened there. Jamie, um, what, if Case yes. doesn't want to be used, maybe you should just go back and edit it and use a different name. We'll call him William. His name is William. That's the point, Jamie. I was joking. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> you can't Oof. make me look stupid, Bill. I'm going to make both of us look stupid. <laughs> you ought to know that. That was good. <laughs> But his name is William. I know that. My name's William. I know. <laughs> I know that. Todd's not even laughing. Todd's like, Jesus I know. Christ. Todd's like, <laughs> low-hanging fruit. Anyways. Hey, 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 hey. We don't use those type of names here. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, so Will's walking through our original high school gym, which is kind of off the back of the original three-story building. He was walking through the gym at night. He thought it was around 11, maybe later. And around the gym, there was a balcony. And when the gym was still used for, like, games and plays and stuff, because there had been a stage there as well, um, the balcony was another seating area. But now it had kind of been converted into storage with, like, a fence to keep people from falling off. Uh, he looked up there and saw a man in a brown suit. It looked like a suit from the 40s or 50s. Will has always done costumes and stuff, and so I, I trust him to be able to date a suit. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, he had on a brown suit from the 40s or 50s with a brown hat, and he was standing in the doorway just watching Will. 
Uh, he looked at him, but kept walking and didn't look back. He said it, it unnerved him because he knew he was alone, but it didn't scare him. And he, like, he knew no, like I said, he knew no one else was there. It didn't seem bad. So he was like, I'm just not going to acknowledge it. <laughs> And left. And then one night while prepping for a concert, it was late at night or he said very early in the morning, he was in the band room, which the band room was built onto the back of the old gym. And I feel like I need to know, he's, he went to a rate, there was an eraser board on the wall, the wall that butts up to the gym. And as he erased, there were three super loud, heavy pounds right in front of his face. And he could feel the vibration through the board, and he dropped the eraser in shock. Mm. Uh, He said he stood there for a second, he picked up the eraser, set it back down, and left. (laughs) Um, And then just for reference, like uh, the dry erase board was attached to a wood panel wall with a cinder block behind it. You would have had the exterior brick of the original building that it was built onto... And then at least another exterior wall and then lock metal lockers on the other side. And, like, we spent a lot of time in that band room. You didn't hear stuff from the locker room. Even if somebody slammed a locker, you would not have heard it. We, we like, there could be a huge commotion in the gym and we would not hear it in, in the band room. Um, at, like, we were talking about that. Like, there was no way. Because I remember there was, like, a big fight in the gym one time. And we had no idea. And it was just like a short walk away. Um, he said at the time, since he could feel the vibration, he wondered if it was coming from his side of the wall because there was really no other way for it to come through from the other side. Um, we got, we would always get kind of creeped out on the third floor and we would get creeped out in this one corner of the first floor. Like it, it would just kind of feel heavy. And then... When, if you were ever alone in the bigger gym that was built later, it felt like someone was watching you. Hmm. And out in the hallway between the gym and the library, it would just feel really eerie. Like, because that was the interesting thing was I was like, you know, I always felt creeped out here. And he was like, oh, my God, me too. And then he said something else. And so it was really weird to, like, have felt these things and kind of let them go. And then to hear them hear someone else say the same thing was kind of interesting. Um, I have also seen pictures of orbs from the first floor of the building uh, in the spot that Will and I feel like feels really creepy. And one of the ones that was like the eeriest to me is the orb was huge. Like it was the size of a basketball. Oh, wow. Yeah. It it, like normally I debunk that crap faster than anyone but it was the size of a basketball and it was like floating near someone's head. And yeah, it's crazy. Wow. Oh no. And then I promise my next story is even shorter, but I I love this house. It's so kind of eerie looking, but it looks like they've done a lot of work since the last time I saw it. And it looks really lovely now. Um, But near the banks of the Mississippi, at one of the highest points in Alton, Illinois, sits McPike Mansion, which at the time it was built was called Mount Lookout. The home was built in 1869 by Henry Guest McPike, 
and the home was completed in 1871. It was three-story red, br- red brick with white trim and white pillars on the front porch. It had 16 rooms and a wine cellar in the basement. It featured 11 marble fireplaces, carved stairway banisters, and intricately carved trim throughout. Um, apparently, there's also a lot of other like fine details that we don't know about because the house is basically ransacked uh, between 1950 and I think the mid nineties because the house just sat there empty. Uh, It was originally built on 15 acres, but only about 4.4 acres remain. Uh, McPike built the house as like the centerpiece and around it. um, He, created extensive gardens that included shrubs, orchard and rare, rare orchards and rare trees. Uh, he was a grape grower um, growing wine grapes and he actually bred for the McPike grape, his own variety. Uh, yeah. Very fancy, which plays interestingly into the haunting of the house, which I'll talk more about in a minute. Uh McPike was was mayor of Alton at one time and a notable businessman. And he did real estate along with his, like, horticultural interests. Uh, the McPikes owned the home until 1936, or at least, like, the family is how it's always said. Um, the home changed hands several times and was at one point purchased by Paul A. Latchinger, who rented rooms in the home and lived there until his death in 1945. I mention him in particular because he is supposedly one of the ghosts in the house. The home was abandoned for years, ransacked for its furnishings, architectural salvage, and necessities. Uh, Apparently, people stole the toilets. Go figure. (laughs) Um, And it was vandalized. The mansion was finally listed on the National Register of Historic Places in June 1980, but remained abandoned until the mid-90s. Um, a family named the Ludkeys, I hope I'm saying your name right if you listen to this, uh, purchased the home in 1994, but restoration has been slow for them and very costly. Um, when they purchased the home, people were like, oh yeah, you can totally get grants for this, and it, apparently that has not been the case. Um, but they have persevered and actually have won an award for their preservation work on the house on, on the front porch in the conservatory in particular. Uh, today the home sits squarely in a large lot with a wrought iron fence surrounding the whole plot. It's almost kind of eerie to look at, um, in part because the house is kind of sets up on an incline from the road itself. Like it's on the lot that it's on is kind of raised up from the road. And so you kind of like look up at it um, and it's huge. Uh, the man- And to me at night, if there's no lights on, like it looks super creepy. Hmm. Uh, the mansion and it has like a bunch of gnarled oaks around it. and So yeah. everything's creepy about this. Even, even everything's the creepy. <laughs> even the trees. <laughs> uh, the mansion has been featured on Ghost Lab Factor Faked Paranormal Files, Scariest Places on Earth, and Ghost Adventures. The current owners believe the home is haunted by Latchinger and claimed that they encountered him about six weeks after they purchased the home. One of the owners was out watering plants in the garden when they noticed a man standing in the window watching them. Hmm. 
She made a point to notice that the spirit was wearing a striped shirt and tie, and when they later obtained a photograph of Lachinger, he was wearing identical attire. thought that was uh, oddly specific and interesting. <laughs> yeah. There are claims that there are up to 12 ghosts in the house, including McPike and other McPike family members. Uh, there's also claims that there's a... Um, a maid that haunts the house, Lacklingler, like I mentioned. Um, there is a small cemetery on the property. I don't think they know who all is buried there, but there is a like a family cemetery. And pictures of from inside and around the home. Because people take pictures of the home from the outside and catch like figures in the window, light anomalies and stuff like that. Um, pictures inside of caught orbs and stuff. People will take pictures from outside and the windows you'll see shadows or like almost full apparitions of people. Um, one of the owners claimed that the maid whom they've dubbed Sarah has actually come up and quote unquote hugged them. Hmm. Wow. Okay. I'm Interesting. sorry. All the stuff. <laughs> Who stays around? Count the ghost. Well, they claim that I, I think I think what I read was that uh, they've claimed that there's 12 of them because of who mediums and other paranormal investigators have encountered or something like that. One thing that I thought was really interesting, since McPike is so interested in grapes and wine, activity seems to concentrate in the wine cellar. With audible footsteps and voices being heard, a heavy metal door that leads into the cellar has been seen moving on its own, and there have been reports of a mist that follows guests through the cellar. Who's still mm. visiting this? Someone <laughs> that count that's counting twelve ghosts, Bill. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Beautiful though. Yeah, it's it's a gorgeous house, and like the work they've done on to it recently has made it like really lovely. Todd, have like, you looked at it? The porch. No, it looks no. like something out of a Stephen King movie. Yeah, yeah it nice. kind of does. Well, and if you call it 12 Ghosts, perfect title. <laughs> that right? is the perfect title. It, it reminds me of, like, the, what's that, re- Rose Red? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Oh, kind, of, kind of reminds me of that one. Gotcha. I was looking it up. But Man, it's beautiful. Isn't it? I think it's lovely. I um, It kind of made me think of, there's an estate in Pennsylvania, the McFarland estate, that we've kind of been working with because they want to... Um, reestablish some of the gardens of the owner because he was a big um, seed vendor in like the late 1800s, early 1900s. And it, uh, McPike's house kind of made me think of it. Like, I think it'd be so cool for that house to be like a historic place and like kind of re remake some of his like gardens and stuff. And I think yeah. like that's cool, but maybe that's just me. Right. Um, no, very cool. i I love the history that goes along with a lot of this stuff. I do too. And that one was cool because like I could actually find like some haunting stuff that I was like kind of interested in. I don't really know if there's any haunting stuff at Fairwell. I can speak words sometimes, but apparently not today. Hey, I know. (laughs) I've, I've done that how many times today? (laughs) Uh, I don't know if there's any spirits at the Farwell house, but one thing that I thought, I forgot to mention this, the entry hallway is so wide and that hallway at the Farwell house and that hallway 
um, there's a, a matching one in the second floor, and they, like, use their hallway as a sitting room, which I thought was kind of yeah. interesting. And I wish there was more about, like, the Crenshaw hauntings, but I feel like people are trying to get away from that, so they're trying to debunk it. Mm. But that's what I got, homies. I liked it. And by the way, yeah. while, while you got booted, this was fun. I did say to everybody how grateful I am for you and Todd. And how he awesome, did. And how awesome you guys are. He Aww. did. He had nice words for us, I Jamie. Did. I really thought you guys would just make fun of me the whole time. I was <laughs> I like, like, no, we pr- we prefer to do that when you're here. Because yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that way, when I make jokes, I'm... like, hey, let's use the name William instead of Will to hide someone's identity. That way you go, but that's the same name. <laughs> <laughs> I really was just trying to embarrass both of us, but I think I just further embarrassed myself with that one. Hey, don't worry. I'm going to get you guys back stuff for other stuff. <sighs> well, <laughs> Uncle Billy Toe Shoes, I, you can get me back. Because I, I feel I, like Sarah Sarah gave us a gift that oh, I think we'll continue oh, to give. Yes. Speaking of yes. Hedla, the headless uh, beast earlier, that my, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. my niece, Hannah, I'll give her a shout out, but my niece, Landon, my, sorry, my nephew Landon. Uh, <laughs> he's gonna kill me. My nephew Landon, Sarah's son, <laughs> said something awesome the other day about the the headless horseman. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, "Do you guys think that he has to get pumpkins all the year long to replace his pumpkins head from rotting? <laughs> and what does he do outside of pumpkin season? That Would he use a pineapple is awesome. or a watermelon? Or? I thought that was cute. I, I I like to think he has a ceramic pumpkin." Oh, you know? yeah. yeah. I, I can get yeah. behind that. Yeah, I can get behind but that. I thought that when you put the headless story. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. That's cute. Yeah. That is cute. Awesome. Yeah. So yeah. nephew landed and niece Hannah. Maybe it's a <laughs> pumpkin that he's like completely carefully dried out and then like covered in polyurethane. Yeah, there you go. That way Otherwise it's cool if it drops. <laughs> yeah. I thought about that too. <laughs> all right well uh thanks well, for another great episode guys thanks guys i really oh, enjoyed we need to this give one shout outs to the kinsman's cask and uh monster bob decals with uh with mandy and our code strange for 10 percent off with her and yeah. JR underscore one. Is that right, Bill? Yes, JR underscore one on Twitch. In fact, tonight, I believe he's going to be playing Fortnite, the new version, which has no building at all. Oh, oh interesting. He, he sent me a message a minute ago. So let me know that. Um, he just, nice. If you guys look up some of his uh, clips, he just beat Odin Ring. And uh, he, oh, yeah. he did, beat the boss the second time. I watched him beat him. With the special showed you guys if you into gaming at all, it was insane how easily he did it with that with this weapon he found. That's mm. awesome. Like you could barely cool. look away. And I, awesome. I'm not sure how much you know about gaming, guys. Uh, Elden Ring's one probably one of the hardest games to be out in the last decade. Oh, very cool. And so it, it, he beat in 70 hours, I want to say, around that time period. Nice. That's impressive. I'm yeah. not a good gamer and I don't know much about gaming, but I kind of love watching. Oh no, he's uh he's fun to watch because cool. he has some good stuff to say. He's funny. Nice. I'm sometimes commenting in the background, I'm texting, and he's responding. Nice. Um, definitely go check out Teresa's haunted history of the tristate.blogspot.com. Yes. Uh, like I and said, that'll we'll put, be in our show notes. Yeah, we'll put a link for it in the show notes for this show. Check it out. Mm-hmm. She's got a lot of cool stuff. 
Uh, also check out zapsplat.com. All of our music bleeps and, and blurps. bleeps and blurps and sound effects blops. are provided by Zapsplat. The blaps of someone we, we have a, <laughs> We have a link in our show notes for them. They've got some cool stuff going on over there. Check them out. The blops are homegrown. I don't know if you guys know. Home. And the Kinsman's Cask has added us to their website to give us shout outs. Oh, oh nice. They're doing advertising now. So thank you to them. Thank you, TJ. Thanks, yeah, definitely. TJ. Um, he has a new bracelet up. I want to go buy it. I know. It's, t- it's tempting sometimes. It. Right? <laughs> uh, you said, man, yeah, make sure we don't forget anybody. I think we got everybody. We probably did. Oh, surround, sa- surround sound. Our oh, friend yeah, Chris David said shout out to him lately. Thank you for oh, the yes. beginning help you've given us and uh, Cooper Kelly as well. We haven't talked to you guys lately because we've all been busy, but I've seen you guys have both been doing a lot Everyone's with your music. Everyone's been busy, yeah. yeah. Awesome. They've been doing a lot of music yeah. stuff lately. Yeah, yeah. Cooper just took a, a vacation cool. under his real name and that looked like he was having fun. Nice. Mm. Yeah, um, I think that's it. I don't believe in real names here, Bill. Nobody has a real name. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All Keep right, it strange, right. y'all. Bye. <laughs> Have a good week. <laughs> what was that? Uh, I had to do it one time on the oh air. Oh my god! You can cut that. <laughs> That's for you, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> Smartest thing Jamie said all episode. <laughs> oh, so rude! <laughs> <laughs> I am turning this off now. <laughs> Okay, good.